Don't you love Sunday? I love Sunday. Sunday's like the greatest because of that right there. It's one of the reasons that I love coming on Sundays. I love hearing us sing. Uh, I, I usually stand in the back for the first part of the worship service just so I can see all of you and be a part of the worship service um, because I like, I, I love that. It's the only time of the week we get to all come together and we all get to sing. And I, I know we can worship during the week, and, and I do. I sing worship songs during the week in my car as I'm traveling, and my girls and I sing worship songs and, and Broadway tunes and 80s classic rock. But uh, and you can do that all week long. I know you can do that all week long, but there's something about us all being together and knowing that God's listening and God's with us and like he's pretty pumped up about our worship of him because he deserves worship. I love Sundays. I like what I do on Sundays. This is my thing. This is my jam. So I like getting ready for this and thinking about you and, 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 and getting ready to teach on Sundays. Sundays are fantastic. Most of you stay awake while I'm teaching, so that's even better. It's awesome. Um, speaking of not staying awake, I, I love Sundays for Sunday afternoon naps, right? Anybody with me? Like this is, this is like one of the best things God has ever came up with is Sunday afternoon naps. Seriously, that's, that's like a blessing and a gift from God. So Sundays are great. I love Sundays. I hope you love Sundays. There's one part of Sunday that's not great. Uh, not, not to rain on the parade, but like there's one little aspect of Sunday that makes it not that likable. It's like some of us hate this part of Sunday, and, and that's because Sunday is the day before Monday, right? right? And, and like 5 o'clock this afternoon, 5.30, 6 o'clock, Sunday's been great. It's been awesome. Get up from a Sunday afternoon nap, eat some dinner, and then there's that thought, it's almost Monday. You know, and, and then everything that you have to do this week, you start thinking about that. Like all of the cloud comes over you. Uh, I got to be at work by this time. I got this meeting tomorrow. I'm not ready for. I got to. I got this project. I've got to turn in uh, uh, this week. I, I got to pack because I got to go to the airport. I might as well not even sleep because I got to go so early to the airport on Monday. And it's going to be terrible because I hate traveling. Like all of the Monday starts to starts to come in and. And that depression, that Monday depression starts to set in late on Sunday. So I know what some of you do. Some of you have found therapy. You found Monday therapy by posting on social media late on Sunday, right? Because you, you, you react to Monday on Sunday night, like this one right here. Some of you, this just sums up you at about 7 o'clock tonight, 8 o'clock tomorrow. This is you right here. Or... You start thinking about how long the week is and how short the weekend is. So you post something like this. I swear it was Friday like nine minutes ago. Right? That's what it feels like on Sunday night at nine o'clock. Right? You just kept thinking Friday, 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 and it's, it's almost Monday. Um, and some of you are kind of violent. I, mean, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But some of you get kind of violent and you post things like, if Monday had a face, I would punch it. It's like you just really want to get it out on Monday, and st others of you are just mean. You're just mean, and so you post something like this: Happy Friday! <laughs> you get the man a break. I mean, he's apologized. Yeah, but we have this hatred of Monday, and it kicks in late, late on Sunday. 
I don't think with one message I can make us all like Monday. Uh, it's probably not possible, so I'm not going to try to make you love Monday. But here's what I'm going to propose at the beginning of the message. And that is, whatever it is that you get up to do on Monday is just as spiritual as what you did on Sunday. Whatever you get up to do tomorrow, whatever you get up to do on Monday, is just as much a spiritual act as coming to worship at church is on Sunday. I know that seems counterintuitive because obviously this is spiritual here, right? We're singing songs to God, singing about Jesus, we're reading the Bible, we're going to pray, we're in our finest pre-ripped jeans, and so it's Sunday, right? Like it's Sunday and God's here and this is spiritual, but, but whatever you get up to do tomorrow, Monday, it's just as spiritual as, as what you're doing today. One of the worst mentalities that we can get in is this false dichotomy of spiritual and secular or sacred versus secular. I don't think we do it intentionally. I don't think we're consciously thinking, well, this is the spiritual part of my life and this is, sacred, uh, this is the secular part of my life. But I think it happens I think we sort of subconsciously make a list of church and community group and Bible study and prayer and, and worship music. That's spiritual, and then everything else is kind of over here in this secular, has nothing to do with God area. But if you read the Bible, you find that God wants to be a part of every area of our life. That Everything really is spiritual. There is no secular part to the life of a person who's a follower committed to Jesus Christ. Everything's spiritual. Paul writes about this in Romans uh, chapter 12. For 11 chapters, <clears throat> Paul is building this case that, man, what God gave you in Christ is so unbelievable, so incredible, the forgiveness that he gave you, and he set you free, and, and it wasn't something you worked for. And he argues this idea of trying to earn it and, and keep all the rules, and he's like, that doesn't work, that's never going never gonna to get you there. And it was just a gift. God's merciful and gracious, and he just gave it to you, and it's unbelievable what God's put in your life. Then he rolls into chapter 12 and says, because of that, because you've got this awesome gift in your life, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Since God's given you this incredible gift, and you didn't earn it. He just gave, just loved you and sent Christ and just gave it to you. Then if you've received that gift, then why wouldn't you live for him all the time? Like why, why wouldn't every part of your life before him and to him and about him. So Paul says your body, like physically, wherever you go, whatever you do with your body, wherever you take yourself, let that be an offering to God. Let that be a part of your worship, not just singing songs. Let everything that your body does glorify God. And, and then he says, let your mind be renewed. Let your thoughts, the things you think about, your attitude, the problems that you solve using your intellect, all of that for God's glory, like everything under spiritual column, everything about your life is spiritual. And as hard as it is to believe, Monday morning spiritual. 
Monday morning is just as spiritual as this morning. And sometimes we're tempted to think, well, you're the pastor, so I know like Monday morning for you is spiritual because you do pastor stuff, whatever pastors do when they pastor. That's what you do, and that's spiritual. But I like working accounting. Now, I drive a truck. I'm a, I work at the bank. I'm a school teacher. Yeah, and all of that, and anything else that you do, is spiritual. In our community groups this week, the, the title that we're, you're all going to be studying out of this message and out of the devotional book, the, the title says career, and I think that's a, that's a great title. Uh, it helps us to kind of think in career, but sometimes I think that's a little limiting because not all, not all of us are in our career. Uh, some of us are retired from our career. Some of us are in a job that we hope is not our career, like we hope we can get another career out of this one. So, some of us are going to go volunteer tomorrow. Uh, some of us are, are, are leading homeschool for our kids or we're caring for our family. So I'm going to use the word work today and not career. And, and here's what I mean. I mean, whatever you're going to get up and do tomorrow, right? whatever it is, the responsibility that you take on when you get out of bed tomorrow, that's what I'm talking about, and that's what I mean by work today. And, and here's the big topic right here at the, at the beginning of the message. This is what I'm going to try to convince you of. When, when we work, when we do whatever it is you're going to do in the morning when you get out of bed, when we work, we're joining God in what He's accomplishing on the earth. Wherever you're... Whatever office you're going to, whatever you're doing in your home, if you're going to school, whatever you're doing when you get up tomorrow is an opportunity for you to join with what God is already doing in the world. Now, I base this on the very first human, a guy named Adam, in Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and just so we're all coming from the same place, Genesis 1 and 2 describe God creating the universe, everything that is, everything that's visible and invisible. Uh, uh, matter comes to be. There was nothing at one time, and God decided there's going to be something. And so he creates matter, and he creates earth, and he creates biological life. And we have that. We have a, we, we have a, a de depiction of that. And Genesis 1 and 2, there was nothing. God said, now there's going to be something, and he made it the way he wanted it. He made it the way he wanted it to operate. He made it perfectly. Sometimes we call it paradise, this place that he created. He made it, and we can debate exactly how that happened, but Genesis 1 and 2 are pretty clear. There was nothing, and God wanted something, and there was something. And in Genesis 1 and 2, everything was working great. Genesis 3 comes along, and the first humans that God creates, they disobey God. Like they run from God. They, we would call it sin. They, they break relationship with God. So they're no longer trusting Him. They're no longer following Him and obeying Him. So things get squirrely after Genesis chapter 3, right? And we're still dealing with the ramifications of brokenness in the world. But in Genesis 1 and 2, there's no brokenness. God creates the universe. Everything is the way God wants it. And this is what God says to Adam, the first human, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Everything's perfect. We're in paradise. 
And God gives Adam a job. Jobs, work, career, whatever word you want to use, work was not the result of sin and brokenness. Work was not the result of the curse. And some of you are thinking, you don't know where I work. <laughs> it's like, it's cursed, and there's a lot of cursing that goes on. But now, work itself, when God gives the first job, everything's perfect. Everything's great. Everything's the way God wants it to be. And God turns to Adam and says, I got something for you to do. And it's not as a punishment. This is not, God's not mad at Adam. God's not trying to punish Adam. God doesn't say, okay, I'm the boss. You're going to work for me. Do what I say. Do it the way I want it. That's not the picture of Genesis 2 at all. The picture is God creates the universe and it's awesome. And God apparently had a great time doing it because he keeps saying all throughout Genesis 1, that was good, that was good, that was good, man. I killed it right there. That was awesome right there. I did it. God had this great time creating the universe. And then he says, look, Adam, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to contribute to what I'm doing. And I don't, I don't need you. It's like I don't need employees. Like I, I can do it all myself. But God creates humans... The part of their, their, their life, part of their heart that, that gets fulfillment by being a part of something. By, by using their passions and their, and their skills. By, by using their experiences and how they're made and their, and their education. God created us to find some sense of fulfillment by doing that. And God still today, tomorrow morning, when you get out of bed, He's going to say, hey, I want you to join me. I got stuff going on in the world. I mean, people need certain things, and I want you to help meet the needs of people practically. I want you to be a part of that. Timothy Keller uh, wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor, and, and Keller says this, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference, and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. If there's, if there's no God, nothing matters. Nothing you do. No way that you could spend your life would matter beyond you living and dying. You die and it's over and that's a big subject that goes a lot of different ways. But for what we're talking about right now, he's talking specifically about your work, what you do day in and day out. And if there is no God, nothing you do really matters. You die, it's over. But if there is a God, then everything you do matters. Everything you do. Every job, every investment of your skills, every time you're honest, when you could be dishonest, matters, and it matters forever. Every time you're the one who shows integrity when you could have bowed out, it matters. Every time you say a kind word, you, you, you commit a kind gesture. Every time you encourage someone, it 
matters, and it matters forever. Every time you exhibit creativity because God's creative, and that we, you exhibit His characteristic in your own creativity, it matters. Every time you create a product and you sell it at a fair price and you're honest with people, it matters. Every time you serve someone a meal, it matters. You help somebody buy a house, it matters. And it matters forever because God is inviting you through what may seem like a very mundane job. God is inviting you into what He is doing in this world. You see, when God invited Adam into His work, one of the things God was saying was, look, I want you to be a contributor, not just a consumer. Like, I've created this garden. I mean, you could go day to day and you could eat everything in here and you could just lay around and take naps. Like, I don't want you to just consume all of the goodness that I've put in front of you. I want you to contribute. Like, I want you to give back. I want that peace that I've put in you that desires fulfillment and, and wants to work and, 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 and has the right amount of achievement in it. I want you to use that. I want you to put it in play. And... God would later say, I want you to do it with all your heart. Like, don't hold anything back. If Monday's spiritual, then hit the ground running on Monday. Paul would say it this way in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You're going to get up and you're going to go to work tomorrow and you have a boss. We all have bosses. You don't work. Ultimately, for that boss, you work as unto the Lord. And an outgrowth of that is if my work really is an offering, if it really is spiritual, then I'm going to want my work to be the best that I can produce. I'm going to want my work to be as excellent as I can possibly perform my work, because it's not for them, and it's not really for the bottom line. It's not even for my company, although that's important, and I'm under authority in that role. But ultimately, this is an offering to God, and so whatever, I, whatever spreadsheet I fill out, how I, when I open a checking account for somebody, when I serve somebody a meal in the restaurant where I work, I want it to be the best because it's not for them. That's not the end of who this is for. This is for God. I want to do it with all of my heart. So the quality of my work should reflect a commitment to God. It should reflect my commitment to Christ. And not just, not just the nuts and bolts of my actual work, but I would say my attitude at my work should be a reflection of my commitment to Christ. My attitude towards other people, towards my work, towards my day, should reflect the fact that I'm a Christ follower, and this is for Him, and this is an offering to Him. And so I want to carry about in me the attitude of Christ, which Paul again describes as fruit of the Spirit, and things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Like, I want to reflect that in my work. 
I want people to see that in my work because I'm not working for them. I want to serve them. I want to honor them. I want to be under authority. But ultimately, this is an offering to God. This is a spiritual moment in my life. Another thing about our jobs, another thing about our work is that for a lot of us, this is the primary way that God puts us in contact with unbelievers. This is the primary environment that we get to be in in order to be light, where maybe there's darkness. We get to pray with people who aren't used to being prayed with. Maybe we get to share our faith or we get to encourage. God has put you in that place around those people because he's saying, look, I'm doing something here and I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to, do, you to give your best work. I want, I want you to have your best attitude. But I want you to also remember that there's people around you who need Christ. Now, your, your work is not less spiritual than my work. You probably have opportunities with fellow employees who are unbelievers more than I do. Right? Most weeks, I'm pretty sure John is a Christian, right? Like most, of, most of the time, I'm like, I think he's going to heaven. Right? So that's the environment that I'm... I've got to have environments other than that to be around unbelievers. But some of you, you get up and you go to work every day. And there are people that you can be light to. As your work becomes an offering to the Lord. C.S. Lewis, uh, great line. He said this in a radio address at one time. What we want is not more little books about Christianity, but more books by Christians on other subjects with their Christianity latent. And let me kind of define that for you. What he was saying is we need godly committed people who don't just know about their faith. That's important. You should know about your faith. But Lewis was saying, we need godly, committed Jesus followers who are really good scientists, right? who are really good financial minds, who are really good computer programmers, who are really good math teachers and science teachers and English teachers and history teachers. We need followers of Jesus who are Really, really good, honest car salesmen, right? We need, we need followers of Jesus who are lawyers and they're good at it. So that God can use that platform and their character and their offering to God of their job. God can use that to show Jesus to more and more and more people. Another thing about work. Work allows us to provide for our needs, the needs of our family, and the needs of the world. Which if you think about providing for your family, that again may not sound real spiritual. Yes, I make a check and it goes to the grocery store. I make a check and we pay the, the heating bill. And I make a check and it all goes to bills, right? That's where most of us live. That doesn't seem real spiritual except in 1 Timothy 5. Paul said, look, if you're capable of working and you don't work and your family's needs don't get met, you're like one of the worst humans ever. Paul said, you're like somebody that doesn't even believe in God if you can do that. You're like somebody that doesn't have a relationship with God 
If you're capable of work, if work's available, and you're physically able to work, and you don't work, I mean, this is a spiritual act. Providing for our family, providing for our needs is a spiritual act. And not just our needs, but part of the reason God provides work, God provides a job, God provides a paycheck, is so that we can meet the needs of other people. Ephesians chapter 4. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. We're in agreement with that. You shouldn't steal. So what's the other extreme of not stealing? Where does Paul want you to get if you're currently stealing? They must steal no longer but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Work is not just to keep you from stealing. Work is not just to meet your needs. Work is to give you an opportunity to meet other people's needs. We talked about generosity last week. We we talked about giving last week. That's what Paul's arguing. It's like, you should have a job because you should provide for your family and you should provide for your work. You can't provide for everybody's need, but that should be a part of your work. Now, as much as I think that Monday is just as spiritual as Sunday. Let me give a caution here. Let me give a a word of caution. When it comes to work, career, job, however you want to talk about it, I, I believe that God gives work prior to the fall. It's not punishment. It's part of God's design. I believe that in giving work, God is inviting us to join him in what he's doing in the world. However, here's my caution. Do not seek from work what work can't provide. Do not seek from work what work can't provide. There's a measure of fulfillment that comes from doing a good job. We've we've all experienced that. There's a measure of fulfillment that comes from knowing how to do something, to have a specialty, to have learned something, to be using your gifts, to be using your talents. But that does not meet all of the needs of our soul. It does not meet all of the needs of our heart. God has also created us to be relational. God has also created us to need each other. And we could go around the room. We could all list people, well-known and maybe not so well-known, who spent their whole life on a career and sacrificed every other relationship for it, and it did not leave them fulfilled in the end. Work was not designed to meet every need of our heart as important as it is. In Genesis chapter 2, God gives Adam a job, And then he turns right around and gives Adam a wife, right? Like if your job could provide everything that you needed, God would have never provided the wife. This was God saying, look, both of these are important. Both of these need priority in the right measure in your life. Work is not designed to give you what this is designed to give you. And even more than that, even though work is designed to give us a measure of satisfaction and fulfillment, We were not created to derive all of our worth and value from our work. What we do, 
whether we have a specific job does not in any way convey our personal value. That's already been settled in God. Adam did not have worth because God gave him a job. Adam had worth because God gave him breath. Adam had worth because God had created him and breathed life into him and said, You're mine. Later on, Jesus is going to die for all the Adams that were to live. As God's way of saying, you are ultimately, infinitely valuable and worthy. Our job doesn't give us that kind of worth. God gives us worth. And we can get that confused. Again, this is the caution. This is the danger. He said we can so wrap our self-esteem and our self-worth in our business card that it wrecks other parts of us. And we need to be very, very careful because there's plenty of us in this room that know jobs don't always go the way you think they're going to go, do they? I mean, there's plenty of us in this room who've been fired, laid off, downsized, went through a restructuring, whatever they called it, it left us without a job. And we know there's like a, a tension on the inside. There's like a shift. There's like a, okay, how do I, who am I? How do I work through this? That's very real. One of the interesting things about Starting a church when you're well into middle age is that you have people from different pockets of your life. You've lived long enough that you've had kind of seasons. And there are people in journey and and in this room from different seasons of my life. And they knew me in that season. And then other people knew me in a different season. And other than my wife, nobody knows the whole calendar as as it should be um when i was 15 it was the first time that i sensed god was calling me to do this first time i felt this tug from god that i I was going to give my life to church ministry and full-time ministry and 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 i I was going to begin to move towards it. I was at a youth camp in Megan, Georgia, and I still remember it. And it was just that awareness that like, this is what you're supposed to do. I've been working full-time, part-time at churches since I was 17. My senior year in high school, I was on staff part-time at a little church in South Georgia. It's what I did. I went to two seminaries, got degrees, Served a church in northeast Florida for four and a half, five years. Came to Conyers in 99. Joined his staff in Conyers. Two years later, became the pastor. Pastored that church until 2008. And in 2008, my wife and I went through the biggest transition vocationally we'd ever been through. Little did we know it wouldn't be the last one, but it was the biggest one up to that moment in our lives. And it's a long story that you don't have time for and you don't want to hear. But in 2008, 
we began to sense that the church we had pastored for seven years, we'd served for nine years, that it was time for us to step away from that. <clears throat> and, and there was no church B. I asked God for church B that we could just go to. I, I looked online to find church B, and church B wasn't there. It, it, but, but we felt so confident that God was moving us, that we stepped out of what I had been doing since I was 17 years old. And that created this tension on the inside of me. Like, who am I now? What, what am I supposed to do in the future? Where is this going? God opened the door for us to come over to LCA. and My wife was already working there. I, I, I came on to teach in their Bible department. and um, It was during that time that I had to settle in my heart that my calling may not always match my business card. My calling may not always match my job title. God had called me to some things that I was still supposed to do no matter what my job title was or my environment was. And coming over to LCA, great place, great experience. Uh, I have nothing negative to say at all about that experience. But personally, it was in addition to this sort of mental shift for me, it was, it was a huge salary reduction. And so we knew that I was going to have to find some in the area. If there... And one of the things that I found is I would preach at different churches in the area. If the pastor was out on vacation. And, and then that became if a church was looking for another pastor and they had a 6, 12 months, 2 years sometimes period, where they needed somebody to preach every week and kind of guide them through that process, then five different churches I stepped in, five, four, five, something like that, I stepped in, and I, and I formed that role, and, and that eased a little bit of it, but there was still that sense of, I'm supposed to be doing this all the time. Like what, what happened to that 15-year-old guy who heard from God? Like What happened? And yet, I came to those opportunities, and, I, and even with that tension, I tried to work as unto the Lord. I tried to give my best. I tried to say, God, how can I join you here where I am right now? And it's in those seasons that I met many of you, many of you. There was a, there was a part of that time when there wasn't a church that I could work at, and um, we looked at our finances, and we (laughs) looked at our schedules, and I had to find something, and I have a wonderful friend who owns a Chick-fil-A, and I said, I I need some work. Um, I've been to two seminaries. I've I've pastored multiple churches. I need to work at Chick-fil-A. And so I did. It was like this season, <laughs> many months. I was in the dining room, I had the outfit, 
<clears throat> I refreshed people's beverages. I said my pleasure a lot. <laughs> and while I said my pleasure, there was this thing in my heart that was going. It was especially so, what is going on? It was especially significant one evening, a young couple came in from the church that I had pastored, and it was a young couple that I had counseled through some kind of extended family crisis, and we'd spent a lot of time, I'd baptized their kids, and now I'm bringing them Diet Coke. One evening, it was really, really late. We're about to close up. An older lady comes in. It's raining. She's very tired, it looks like. And I greet her and, and we have some conversation and she orders. And in that conversation, I found out she just came from the hospital. And her husband was there. And the next day, he was going to have his leg amputated because of cancer. And we talked some more and I told her I was going to pray for her. And so the next day, I, I went to the hospital, and I walked in the room, and I had to introduce myself because I didn't have the Chick-fil-A name badge on. I was like, hey, remember me? My pleasure. Yeah, that's me. And we talked, and we held hands, and we prayed, and we cried. And he went to surgery, and... That thing that was happening in my heart, God was saying, look, I, I know you, don't, you didn't ask for this job, to title, job title, but I'm inviting you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And you can do it there, just like you can do it anywhere else. I mean, if you come with the heart and the attitude, you can join what I'm doing in the dining room of Chick-fil-A. I taught school for five years at LCA and met, met many of you there. Met some of my greatest friends today from that place. My wife's still there. My kids go to school there. And again, this is not negative. This is not critical at all. This is me. This is what's happening in my heart because of what I felt as a 15-year-old and what I'd seen God do throughout my life. But there were ends of days that I would sit in classrooms and I would go, what in the world am I doing here? Five years. It would take us a long time for me to list the names of students that I still get called, calls from. And I still get texts from when they have a problem or a question or they're struggling. There were 17-year-olds that but for the grace of God I would have strangled. <laughs> Who have been on missions for months. when they got ready to face some, FaceTime somebody, they FaceTime me. They're getting out of college. Got another one on the calendar. 
And I, I, will, I will stand again in front of two wonderful young people, and I'll get to pronounce them husband and wife. Because even though I didn't always understand, God was always saying every Monday morning, I want you to come be a part of what I'm doing. And you don't have to understand all of the details. You don't have to always even like it. But I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And I don't know what you do. I don't know if you love it. I don't know if you can't wait to get out of bed on Monday morning. I don't know if you tolerate it. I don't know if you hate it. I know that the God of the universe from the beginning of time has been looking at people like me and you and saying, Monday morning, you're going to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. You're going to be a part. You're going to be a part. So do it with all your heart. Do it as an offering to me. You're going to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And tomorrow morning, for every person here, God's going to say, today, you could be a part of something I'm doing in the world. And you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. God, thank you that everything's spiritual. I thank you that Monday morning is just as spiritual as Sunday morning. And let us come to Monday with a heart that desires to offer our very lives to you. Whatever our job title is, whatever our business card says, That in every moment of every day, we would be light. And that you would be accomplishing things that we don't even see yet. We're human, God, and we go through seasons of our life where there is that tug, that tension, that why, how did I end up here? But I always thought, I didn't think it was going to work like this. those moments we can rest assured you have not lost sight of us you have not forgotten us and you have not stopped working through us for eternity and we thank you we thank you that you would invite us in that you would treat us like Adam and say hey I got something for you to do so do it with all your heart Jesus' name.